Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Mm-hmm. Bless the Lord. Amen. So we are continuing our series on the ruthless elimination of hurry. And uh, to start off, which you don't really need the picture of her, but um, this is Smiley. She's right up here. Many of you know Smiley. Um, She has been a consistent part of our community for a few years now. She loves babies, and she loves music, and she loves to dance. But here's why Smiley is significant for our conversations. You're always significant. But specifically today, Smiley carries around with her a small stop sign. Somewhere along the line, she decided to carry her stop sign so that she can make sure that as she is slowly dancing across the street, anyone coming um, who might not be obeying all of the traffic laws of New York would be forced to stop, right? And so probably is helpful so she's not stressed out that they're going to uh, take her down. And so pretty much weekly, I'll be walking down the street. And I'll see some rage-filled, anxious-filled New Yorker, you know, driving. And they have to stop and wait for Smiley, who is slowly dancing across the street with her stop sign out. And I love it. And as much as I love Smiley, I've come to see her and her stop sign as this prophetic proclamation to our fast-paced, production-driven city. Her slow dance across the street with a stop sign is a proclamation that our souls will dance and our life will sing when we're able to slow down and engage in this ancient practice of stopping, of Sabbath. Our series, we have been looking at a rule of life, how it is that we want to live instead of letting life happen to us. We've included talking about silence and solitude. We've talked about our relationship with technology quite a bit and how that is distracting us and catapulting us into this hurried life. And today we're going to talk about Sabbath, this practice of weekly rest and how it is one of the major, major areas we need to look at. This is a picture of King Sisyphus. His story comes to us from Greek mythology, and he was known as a deceptive king who would be punished by the gods for his deception. And his punishment was simple. Every day, Sisyphus had to roll this big boulder up a hill, and once he got it to the other side, then he'd be free. But the problem is that the gods enchanted the stone, so as soon as he would get right to the top, It would roll all the way back down the hill, and he would have to start all over again. So day after day, Sisyphus would awake to win his freedom, being like, today is going to be the day, right, that I get that stone over the hill and can finally rest, and it would roll back down. And then the next day, he'd wake up, do it again, and it would roll back down. It was torture, nonstop, never-ending, limitless work. His story has become a symbol for us of work that never ends, that is futile and laborious. 
I have a family of eight people. And with the size of our family, I often feel as though I am Sisyphus. I'm like, didn't I just clean that up? How is that back? Didn't I just do the dishes? Didn't I just do the laundry? Haven't I just gone grocery shopping? Didn't I already sign that? Didn't I just feed you? How are you hungry again? Anyone else, though, feel like this, where it just doesn't matter day after day? Email, laundry, grocery shopping, soccer practice, work, working out, events, text, Instagram, Facebook, email, grocery, I mean, just on and on and on. We live in an overworked, over-anxious moment. It never seems to stop the work. But just because the work doesn't stop doesn't mean that we shouldn't either. Many of us are living our lives like Sisyphus, ceaselessly rolling the boulder up the hill, but our souls need rest, real deep rest, not just a nap, rest that allows us to be sane, to feel, to be integrated as a human being. Our ability to rest is a key part of what it means to be human. God, from the very beginning, laid out for us how we are to embody that rest and live fully into our humanity. So we look at this passage that Rick read for us from Exodus chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it and follow along with us. This is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. By holy, we mean set apart. It's different than the other days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, your male, nor female servants, not your animals, no foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. I love as you look at this passage too, it's not just something for God's people, the people of Israel. He's saying anybody you come into contact with, right? Anybody who's around you, this is how you're supposed to live. Abraham Heschel, a leading Jewish theologian and philosopher of the 20th century, did a lot of work with the Sabbath, did a lot of research on it and writing on it. And he said, we don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath keeps us. A great thought for us as we as we look at and understand the Sabbath. There's some important scriptural context here for this passage. Like I said, it's in the Ten Commandments. Keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses to pass on to the people of God. But notice that it's not given as a means of salvation, but as a result of salvation. God had already rescued the people of Egypt. And now he's telling them how he wants them to live. They've already been rescued. They've already been saved. And now he's saying, this is how I want you to live. He didn't meet them in Egypt and say, you have to do this and then you will be free. He had already freed them. This is how free people live. This is a clear distinction for us between the good news of God and religion where we're trying to work our way to God. This law is given to the people as a gift. So that's where, this, that's where this passage comes when he talks about Sabbath. But if you actually look at 
the Ten Commandments, you'll see that this part about the Sabbath takes up a little bit more space than in some of the other commandments. Some of the other ones are, are pretty quick lines of you shall not, you shall not. But then when it gets to the Sabbath, there's more commentary. There's more explanation. Why? Many rabbis believe that the Sabbath and this practice of the Sabbath is actually the bridge between the first three commandments, which are you shall not have any other gods, you shall not make idols, don't misuse the name of God, and then those last six commandments, which involve our relationship to other people. Honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Many teachers believe that if you cannot keep the Sabbath, you will not be able to live out these commandments. Keeping the Sabbath holy is a foundational practice. It's really the only measurable practice. If you look at that list of Ten Commandments, it's the only practice on that list. It's the only do, right? It's the only thing that you can say, oh, I've done this or I haven't done this. The other ones are much more subjective. And for 400 years, the people of God, they had one identity. They were slaves whose job it was to work. If you couldn't work, you really, you weren't fit to live according to the empire of Egypt. That was what you were. You were a worker. Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And for the people of God, it was, I work, therefore I am. That can become our identity. This is not a problem that we're unfamiliar with. When we make introductions, right, we tell people our name, and then the next question often is, what do you do? What do you do? When kids are five years old, we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're not expecting them to say a person of character, right? We're not expecting them to say one who keeps the Sabbath holy. No, we expect them to say, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a pediatrician. I want to be a veterinarian. Like, that's what we expect from kids. We, we very much, that I work, therefore I am, has become part of our narrative as well. And work is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. When we look at our origin story, we see that work is created before sin enters the world. God gives, he gives a mission to people to do something with their life before sin enters. So it's good. The problem isn't with work. The problem is when we're defined by our work. And so there becomes this disordering of our work. The reality is, though, when we go back to our origin story, when we look at Genesis, the story that we have to understand ourselves and our place in relationship to God, our story is very different than any other origin story. All the other origin stories of the time had really the creation as an evil thing. It wasn't made out of love. The earth wasn't created out of love. The gods created in or people in order to use them. They worked for the gods. That was the other creation narratives out there. And so this story that our God would create us out of love is totally other. The author of Genesis is clear to show us that although God creates work, the very first thing that humans do is rest. They're created at the end of the work and their very first day is a weekend. How great is that? In his book, The Subversive Sabbath, A.J. Swoboda says, Adam and Eve had accomplished nothing to earn this gratuitous day of rest. 
Sabbath is, in my estimation, the first image of the gospel in the biblical story. God's nature always gives rest first and work comes later. Humanity had only God's goodness to celebrate, nothing more. Work had not even begun for them. The Sabbath teaches us that we do not work to please God. Rather, we rest because God is already pleased with the work that he has accomplished in us. But we don't believe it. <laughs> we think our work and our accomplishments define us. Swoboda goes on to say work is our drug, our numbing agent, escape hatch, anesthetizing behavior. Achievement makes us feel some semblance of glow, some semblance of some glow of heightened, idolized identity where we are what we do. In this modern world, we have become addicts to doing, making, producing, and accomplishing. This manifests as the overworking that happens. It leads to a pace of life that's unsustainable. It's led us to essentially be violent people, and not necessarily physical violence, but there's an emotional violence that happens when we're so consumed with our work. When at 7 o'clock at night, I'm consumed with my texting and my emails and making sure everything is completed, and my 8-year-old comes to me and I have no time to look her in the eyes and hear about her day, that's doing violence against her soul and what it is that I'm communicating to her. Working when we shouldn't be. Our technology has allowed us to be reachable in all places at all times. I saw this, that texting right now, 95% of texts will be read within three minutes of being sent, with the average response time being only 90 seconds. So... Chances are, if they're not getting back to you, they don't want to, okay? Because uh, stats are <laughs> stats are they saw it, and everybody else got a response, um, right? But because of all of this, we're working when we shouldn't be. We're preoccupied instead of being people of presence. When people ask, how are you doing? What is our answer? Fine and busy. Busy, busy. The amount of people that I have come up to me, I know you're so busy. I would love for that to not be people's expectation, right, of my life, that I live my life in such a way where the first thing out of their mouth is, I know you're so busy. And tired. <laughs> but the reality is this is really hard. This is really hard. There's the reason that that book is called Subversive Sabbath, we're going against the grain of culture. There's a reason that God laid this out, the, the very foundation of the earth, because this is, this is going against everything that the world has us in. We have tremendous treasure, pressure to perform, to prove our worth, to produce. The rhythm of the world is that we work and work and work, and then we take a vacation and then we work and work, and then we take another vacation. But how many of us need vacations after vacation, right? Yes. <laughs> Normally, it's not restorative. We don't feel renewed and refreshed when we come back from a vacation. We skid into them and head back into our regular life, often more exhausted than we left. That's the world's rhythm, right? Just work, 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 get away, escape, work, work, work. The rhythm of the kingdom is different. It begins with Sabbath. It begins with Sabbath rest. And out of that we work. And then again, on a weekly basis, Sabbath and work. 
And this is an ancient problem. This is nothing new. So it needs this ancient solution of the Sabbath. So what is it? What does this mean? What does this mean, a Sabbath? How do we keep the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a 24-hour period out of seven days, every seven days, where there are no have-tos, there are no shoulds, working ceases, and it results in a deep renewal and rest. Sabbath is a gift. And of course, with any gift from God, as sin gets involved, we mess it up. It's been added to and taken away from. Historically, keeping the Sabbath became incredibly legalistic, where you can only do this. You can only walk this far. You can only carry this much weight. You can only, you know, all these different things. Very legalistic. Now, for many, the Sabbath feels irrelevant. I've heard people say, well, I'm a Christian, so you know that Old Testament stuff doesn't apply to me. I'll rest when I'm dead. For that one, that's terrible. But the reality is, there's a, there's a center here where we're able to view the Sabbath as a gift, as essential to being human, as truly one of the most formative practices that we can engage in in our spiritual life. Here's how. The Sabbath is a spiritual practice that is inviting us to, first of all, be present with the source of rest and then to trust that source. It's an invitation to life that isn't dominated by the need to produce, the need to prove our worthiness and our existence. It's where we get to be fully human. And this is different This is different than just taking a day off of work because one, it's possible for us to be off from work and still mentally and emotionally working. It's not a day of doing the work at home that we don't get paid for. It is a day of true rest to delight in God. The Sabbath connects us to the source of rest the one who designed us in the first place, setting aside all of the have-tos and the shoulds and the need-tos. In the gospel accounts, Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Remember, it's very legalistic. People would get angry. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And he says, Sabbath, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the source. When I'm here, you get restoration and renewal. When you're present to my presence, you will find this deep rest that deals with the anxieties that we have. And there's this cyclical relationship with the ability to rest and our trust in the source of rest. And that Sabbath, as we rest and we rest in the source of rest, we begin to trust God more, but we're only able to rest when we trust the source. Ever notice how you can doze off in the car when you trust the person driving? A few years ago, we were taking a retreat, and one of the drivers um, was a terrible driver. And I'd arrived to the location a few hours early, and then this van full of women show up, and I hear all about their near-death experiences as they were trying to escape Manhattan on a Friday night. They had anticipated that they would be in the car, and it would be restful, and instead they were like white-knuckling. Some of you are in here. You know what I'm talking about. But it was anything but that because they didn't trust the person driving. They were not napping. There is no rest when there is no trust. 
A couple years ago, Dan was working at a Starbucks and this woman and her child and the, the child's father come in and he gets up to go to the bathroom and he leaves his phone on the table and as soon as he's out of sight, this woman grabs the phone and starts flying through it and she starts going, I knew it, I knew it, that jerk. There's no rest when you don't trust your man, right? There's no rest. When we take a Sabbath... When we have 24 hours of no have-tos, no shoulds, on a weekly basis, we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I don't have to perform. I don't need to produce. It's an act of worship. It's letting go this illusion that we can control all of the events in our life. Barbara Brown Taylor says, human beings do not lose control of their lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control of our lives in the first place. Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. Hebrews, I work, therefore I am. As Jesus followers, we say, I am loved, therefore I am. We begin with resting in the source of rest. Think about Smiley as she goes across the street dancing and singing. Do I feel as loved and as valued, as confident and contributing once I've stopped? When I'm no longer producing anything? Jesus, his response to us is yes. He says, yes, you are, absolutely. You are loved and valuable even when you can't give anything to anyone. We live then in a totally different way when we understand that. So the question is, how do we do this? How do you take a Sabbath? How do you keep the Sabbath holy? First, you have to plan. You have to plan it out. This isn't just going to happen to you. It's not just accidentally going to happen. This is a subversive act of resistance against the ways of the world and the kingdom of the earth. You have to be intentional about it. You have to prepare to stop, meaning that you get all the things done that need to happen beforehand, letting the people around you know, this is my day. This is the day that work ceases. You need to do it in a community. You need people to encourage one another, to not shame one another. I had someone not too long ago say something to me who was a part of our community, say something to me to the effect of like, well, you should probably not be getting that much sleep. I was like, that's not helpful. <laughs> I need that sleep. But to be in a community together to encourage one another. And I understand that we are coming from so many different backgrounds. And there are immigrant stories where you get here and you don't stop working because you need to make it. You need to set things up differently than where you came from. But this is an ancient problem. We ascribe to a very different if you are following Jesus, you ascribe to a very different set of principles than whatever culture you came from or this culture here in the United States. We say no, we rest, we stop. We put that in to encourage one another, to ask one another, how is it going? Are you keeping the Sabbath? 
And then figuring out some practices. What does that look like for you? Because again, it's not just about this legalistic, well, you can't walk this far, you can't, that's not. Jesus was, he healed on the Sabbath. He said, don't you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. This is a gift to you. And so figuring out how is it that you can delight? What are things that bring you joy? For me, although I cook way too much food, most of the time it's stuff that's just, nah because I'm cooking in mass for way too many people. But on my Sabbath, just this past Friday, I went and I made roasted red pepper and tomato soup from scratch, let it slow roast in the oven. I mean, it's really, really good, you guys. And the most epic grilled cheese like to go along with it, that for me was delighting. Recognizing God's goodness, trusting in him, going, I'm not, there's nothing else I need to do today but make this soup. And it's not just to feed the masses. It's just to enjoy God's goodness. Figuring out what are the practices in your life? Where is it? Is there, is there a place where you can connect with God? I know somebody, he, um, he says on his Sabbath, there's a pastor, he says he uses the hand dryer all the way. When he's, when he's out, he's like, I'm just gonna, he's like, there'll be a line behind him. He's like, this is my Sabbath. My hands are going to be all the way dry before I walk out of here. For us, one of the things we've also done is we like candles. We eat dinner in the dark as a family to kick off the time together. And it helps us slow down so that we don't knock. I don't have that view anymore. It breaks my heart. Um, but so, so that we don't knock the candles over, we actually have to slow down and pass the food to one another. The kids can't just reach across the table. These are some of the practices that we've incorporated into our Sabbath rhythm. Some things that should be included. Delight, contemplation, reflection. This is a time for you to connect with your creator. Remember his goodness. Contemplate on what it is he's teaching you. What are the nudges? What are the things that he's trying to tell you. Again, it's not just a day off. I encourage you to have a start and a stop time. No, this is when it starts, this is when it ends. Typically, to start it in, on the ev- in the evening, and it goes till the next evening. This practice of Sabbath, I mean, I, you know, I'm giving you a few things that we do. You need to know we mess this up all the time. It's really hard because there is always something. There's always someone. There's always some request. There's always some activity. There's never, the work is never done, right? It is a battle to say, I'm going to commit to this and have this be a practice in my life that I trust is formative and is changing me and making me into the person that God wants me to be. As we wrap up and get ready to move into um, communion, and we think, we think about this idea of stopping, of trusting, trusting in the source of our rest. There's a, there's another Greek. Um, is he a god? I don't know. No, he's not. The, he's not a god. Atlas, the Titan, right? Atlas, and there's that statue of him holding the heavens. This is holding the earth. Like this is, this is how New Yorkers feel, right? 
You've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Here we have this statue of like, this is almost, this is almost the goal for us. Can we hold all things together? But that's a burden that we're not meant to carry. Many of you, as you're single parenting, as you're working, trying to prove yourself, trying to secure things, this is how you feel. Trying to secure your education, this is how you feel. But this is not how we as believers are meant to live. There's this statue instead of Jesus. It's kind of creepy. But there he is. He's, he's the one who holds the world. And that shift for us of really starting to trust and believe, no, we have a God who says he holds all things together. And we can trust in that. We can stop, step into his rest because it truly is one of the most formative things that we can do. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast your cares on me. And I will care for you. This is what our God says. And so as we prepare to receive communion, to remember that he is, not only is he the source of rest, he's the one who holds all things together. And we can trust in his goodness that he sees it, he sees you, he sees whatever it is that you're going through. You can trust that. To come and, and participate and take in the goodness of God. I'm going to pray for us. The band can come on up. Those who are helping serve can come up as well. Father, thank you that you are so good that you give us rest before we've done anything. And Lord, it goes so much against our culture. It goes so much against our own desires and needs to strive and to prove ourselves. Lord, I pray that this would be a community of people who keep the Sabbath day holy. That this would be a community of people where we could encourage one another to trust in you so much that we could stop and we could just set things down. Laying down people's expectations, laying down people's opinions of us, and instead trust that you have really good things for us. God, I thank you. I thank you that that is the kind of God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.